From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Mike Pompeo was sworn in as Secretary of State on April 26th of 2018. He previously served as Director of the Central Intelligence Agency from January of 2017 to April of 2018. Now, prior to joining the Trump administration, Mr. Pompeo was serving in his fourth term as a congressman from Kansas 4th District. He served on the House Intelligence Committee, the Energy and Commerce Committees, as well as the House Select Benghazi Committee. Pompeo sat down with David Rubenstein, co-founder of the Carlyle Group and host of the Bloomberg television show Peer-to-Peer Conversations, to discuss his foreign policy priorities, sanctions against Iran, protecting the integrity of America's elections, and his relationship with the president. So um, you became our 70th United States Secretary of State in April of 2018. Um, You're happy with the job? Is it as much as fun as you thought it was going to be? Every day. (laughs) So, uh, what are the most significant foreign policy issues of concern to you? What do you think are the biggest challenges we have in our country right now in foreign policy area? So, you know, I get asked this question about sort of rank ordering the challenges. I mean, that's not an original question? Uh, I mean, (laughs) so, look, it's an an important question. It's it's about priorities and resources and how do you allocate time and uh, how do you think about the problem set. You know, for me, the the, the first task when I came in now going to 16, 17 months ago to the State Department after having been the CIA director, uh, was to make sure the State Department was ready in the moment of crisis. In terms of priorities, uh, you know, I, I, every morning the first thing I do is read about China. So I, I take time and talk about all the broad array of issues that present uh, both real opportunity for the United States and risk to America from China. Well, let's talk about China for a moment. Uh, the trade negotiations are going on. You're not the lead in the trade negotiations. I think Bob Lighthizer is taking the lead in that. But can you make any progress in non-trade issues until the trade issue is resolved? Uh, yeah, and, and we, we've made some. Um, we've had other places where we've gone backwards. Uh, the, the Chinese have frankly been uh, very helpful on North Korea. So they have done more to enforce the UN Security Council resolutions on North Korea than ever at any time in history. Um, they're, they're helpful with us today in Afghanistan and the project there too. It's something folks don't spend a lot of time thinking about. Uh, so far, so good with respect to respecting our sanctions uh, enforcement on the Islamic Republic of Iran. But so there are places we can work with China. There are lots of diplomatic fronts where we have, uh, we don't share the same values, but we have overlapping interests and we work on those problems. So you have been to North Korea and you've met with the leader of North Korea on a few occasions and you've been there where the president has met with him. So what type of person is he? Does he have great interesting thoughts? Does he have, does he speak English? Uh, do you communicate in English with him? And can you just kind of summarize what your impression is of the leader of North Korea? Yeah, so I've spent more time with him than any American. I passed Dennis Rodman on the last trip. Okay. Uh, okay. So, uh, 
So, so he, he, look, he's, he's, he's bright. He, he, has managed, he has managed to rise to the level of leadership uh, in a difficult environment where he was a very young man when his time came. Uh, from my very first interaction with him, he's been very candid uh, with me about the things that are important to him, the priority set, and how the negotiations might proceed. Uh, he's now repeated that he's prepared to denuclearize. It's now time to execute. Uh, and I, I hope that we can achieve that. Do you expect a third summit to be announced anytime soon, the date and time of it? Uh, there's, there's, there's nothing in the works. Okay. There's, there's no, nothing planned. And um, why did the last summit end before the lunch even occurred? Why did it kind of abruptly end? Uh, there was a big bid-ask spread, to put it in economic terms. Right. Uh, we, we'd had a number, I, I can't go into all the details, but we had a number of conversations about okay. a broad range of issues in the run-up to that. My team had worked very, very hard uh, and it just turned out that the idea that the leaders could bridge that gap in that moment turned out to, to not work and, that day. But do you think there, the U.S. position has been that we would not lift sanctions until there was a so-called denuclearization? But would you be willing to consider having the uh, North Koreans keep whatever they have in nuclear weapons now and then lift sanctions if they didn't do more than they have now? Or is that something too hypothetical? Too hypothetical. Oh, okay. I didn't want to give you the answer. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> Uh, All right. So, yeah. look, I'll say this. I've, I've talked about this publicly a couple times. Uh, we, we hope that there are creative solutions to unlocking this. It is a very difficult challenge for each of us. We have to remember, too, these aren't U.S. sanctions. These are U.N. Security Council resolutions. These are global okay. sanctions put on by a, every single country. And so we are, we are mindful that we are the steward for enforcing those. Let's go to the easier part of the world, the Middle East, okay? So um, <laughs> the Straits of Hormuz, are we committed to keeping open the Straits of Hormuz at any cost militarily? Yeah, we're we're going to keep them open. Uh, we'll, we're going to build out a maritime security plan. Um, countries from all across the world who have a vested interest in keeping those waterways open will participate. Uh, it, it will take more time than we wish it would take, but I, I'm very confident that the world understands its importance, that America is prepared to be a significant part of that, but we need countries from all across the world to assist us in protecting commercial transit. We'll, we'll be successful. But our position, I presume, is that if a U.S. ship were taken uh, by the Iranians, we would presumably do something militarily, I guess, I don't know. But what about if, if uh, a ship is taken that's a British ship or some other nationality? Are we not committed to uh, recovering that ship or doing something to defend those uh, ships? We are working, I was working with, what, I guess I'm now working with my third British foreign minister since I've been the Secretary of State, uh, but working with the uh, British to find the solution to both A, uh, write that injustice, and second, prevent it from happening again, so to establish deterrence. That's the mission set. Now recently you gave a visa for the foreign minister of Iran to come to the United States for a UN event. You're familiar with that? That's true. Yes. yes. Okay, so when he was in the United States, were there any indirect or direct talks with him and the State Department about anything that you can talk about? No talks. No talks. And, okay. Any... Although he spoke. Uh, the American media decided to give him a megaphone to talk about okay. uh, things that are untrue going on in the Islamic Republic of Iran and gave him a chance to lie vociferously to the American people. I look forward to the chance to speak to the Iranian people in that same way, um, but truthfully. Right. Tell them honestly about what's going on inside of their own country. I, so far, they've not taken me up on that offer. Now, President Trump has imposed uh, tough sanctions on Iran. Uh, do you think they are going to have the effect of bringing Iran to the negotiating table or not? You have to step back and think about what we're doing more broadly in the Middle East. Uh, with respect to Iran, it's the world's largest state sponsor of terror. It has uh, the capacity to continue to work towards developing a nuclear weapon system, which would cause proliferation risks all throughout the Middle East. 
And so we are very concerned about that as well. Our, 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 uh, our chosen strategy uh, was to take a 180 degree turn from what the previous administration has done. They created opportunity for enormous wealth for the kleptocrats in Iran and for them to uh, underwrite Hezbollah, uh, militias in Iraq, uh, the Houthis in Yemen that are, even as we speak, preparing to continue their attacks on Saudi Arabia. Uh, we, we've decided to go the other way. We, we're trying to reduce their resources to conduct terror campaigns all around the world, build out their missile systems and their nuclear program, and we've been incredibly effective at that. I remember, David, uh, I'm sure no one in this room, but many here in Washington said that American sanctions alone won't work. Right. Well, they've worked. Uh, we have taken over 95% of the crude oil that was being shipped by Iran all around the world. We have taken it off the market, and we've done so with, I checked when I came in, Brent crude is at 6334 uh, 17, 18% lower than when we withdrew from the JCPOA. So we have, we have managed both to protect the economic growth that the world needs while doing our best to deny resources to the, uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran regime. The prospect of another Iranian agreement, one that's more favorable to your point of view and the President's point of view, is that likely to happen this year, next year, or you just can't predict? I don't do time. I, 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 time timelines are uh, a fool's errand. Uh, in my business. The Iranians are now enriching uranium at a greater level than they were before. Do you worry that somebody, Israel, might attack the Iranian facilities, or are you not worried about that? Uh, yes, they're enriching more than they were under uh, the agreement. Their, tempor their temporary reduction in right. uh, enriched uranium uh, has now uh, ended. They're moving back in the right. wrong direction. We're, we're urging them to, to think about it. But for us, it's not about these uh, levels set okay. in the JCPOA. All right. it's, it's about their capacity to build out a nuclear weapons system in a time frame that matters to you and your kids and your grandkids. The previous agreement didn't remotely touch that. In the Middle East, do you see any prospect for peace between Israel and the Palestinians? There's been uh, talk of a plan, and uh, do you see any progress being made? So there's a reason it hasn't been solved for 40 years uh, or more. Um, in the end, uh, this will be the decision of the Prime Minister of Israel and the leadership uh, in the West Bank and Gaza. I, I, I've been uh, deeply involved in Mr. Kushner's efforts there. But is our position, the United States government's position, that we prefer a one-state solution or a two-state solution? You'll see our plan shortly. Okay, will you give us a hint or? No. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We, we, pref we prefer what the uh, Palestinians and the Israelis ag agree to and what the nature of that relationship will look like. Now, negotiations are underway with the Taliban in the Middle East. The U.S. is involved in that. Do you see any progress in reducing um, our need to be in Afghanistan, anything in the near future? Yeah, real progress. Uh, I try not to do timelines, but I'm optimistic. Uh, we're not just negotiating with the Taliban. That's the story. Uh, the truth of the matter is we're talking to all Afghans. So we've spoken with the, uh, President Ghani. I spoke to him on Friday night or Friday morning. Uh, we're speaking with the op opposition, those folks that are not inside the government. We're speaking with Taliban officials. We have, uh, Ambassador Khalil Azad has worked all across Afghanistan with, uh, I'm, when I was there last, I met with NGOs, I met with women's groups, uh, a, a broad swath of Afghanistan. We want them to take their country back, and we want to reduce what is for us uh, tens of billions of dollars a year in expenditures and enormous risk uh, to your kids and your grandkids who are fighting for America. We, we think there's a path to reduce violence achieve reconciliation, and still make sure that the uh, American counterterrorism effort in Afghanistan uh, uh, has a value and the potential to reduce risk here in the States. Before the next presidential election in the United States, would you expect we reduce, reduce our troops in Afghanistan? 
Uh, that's my directive from the President of the United States. He's been unambiguous. End the endless wars. Draw down, reduce. It won't just be us. Uh, those of you who have served know that Resolute Support has countries from all across Europe and around the world. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. So on Russia, um, you've met with uh, Mr. Putin many times, I assume? Uh, a few times, yes, sir. And any impressions of him that you might convey? Is he very smart, very tough? Does he understand English? That you convey your thoughts to him in, in English? Or does he have an interpreter? Or I, he... I, I, think, I think he speaks English plenty well. <laughs> okay. Uh, look, he, he's, uh, he's very clear about the things that are in Russia's interest, the things they're working on. Uh, you know, we had a strategic dialogue with them uh, that we hope will build into something that handles a broad set of proliferation issues, not just nuclear proliferation issues, but uh, a broad array of uh, proliferation issues. We hope China will, uh, will join that set of conversations. We think today's, in today's world, these agreements need to have China be part of them. And I, and I, and I hope that President Putin will support us, and I think he will. Uh, you were the head of the CIA at the beginning of this administration. Do you have any doubt that the Russians interfered with our last presidential election? Oh, none. None. Okay. So um, have you conveyed And the that? one before that, and the one before that, okay. and the one before that, and the one in 2018. People forget we've had an election since 2016. I hear people say, oh, we have to protect 2020. Well, the good people who ran in 2018 cared a lot about us protecting that one. We did so very effectively, and we'll do so again in 2020. And it's not just the last thing. I, just, I, I know this town. I know exactly what will get reported, just so you know, it ain't just Russia. That's bad English. I'll try and correct it. Um, there, are, there are more nations than just Russia who are attempting to undermine Western democracy. That has been true since the founders right. created this great nation. And so we have to be ever vigilant. There is legislation that's passed the House now in the Senate to um, and give more resources to keep the Russians from being able to do this again. Is the administration supportive of the legislation, which seems to be blocked right now in the Senate? Yeah, I don't know the details of the legislation. I'm convinced uh, the State Department has all the resources it needs to perform its part of that function. We, we have what we need. We have the authorities we need. We have the money we need. It's the, the burden is on me to execute. And that. have you communicated to uh, Mr. Putin that we do not like what he's done before and he shouldn't do it again? Uh, on a number of occasions. And what's his response? Uh, noted. Okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's a diplomatic term for I hear you, brother. Okay. So, <laughs> Um, okay, um, he doesn't admit anything, I assume, but okay. So with respect to England, uh, there's a new prime minister. Uh, you have met uh, Boris Johnson before? I have. I met him when I was CIA director, and uh, I believe he was foreign secretary at the time. When I met. Does the, the current uh, Trump administration support a Brexit, or would you prefer that there be a Remain, or do you not take a position on that? I, I have confidence in the British people. Okay, now the British ambassador had to resign because his cables were leaked um, by somebody. Um, do you tell your own ambassadors they should be a little bit more careful about what they say to you because somebody could leak what they're uh, writing? Is that a worry? Not at all, and if I did, they'd ignore me. Okay. <laughs> I mean, right, they have a duty, they have responsibility. Our, our task is for them to tell us what they're saying, then we expect that they'll report them accurately, truthfully, candidly, and then our mission is to make sure they don't end up in the Washington Post. 
Now, in respect to Mexico, um, we have been concerned about people coming over the border. Are you confident that the Mexican government is now doing what it can to keep more people from not coming over the border? They are. So they're doing enough, you think? or you're... No, it's not enough. And you still have a high side of 2,000 every day. It's, uh, it's unacceptable. And so they need to do more. We need to do more. Congress needs to change uh, the rules. Uh, we have to create a deterrence. Right? It, it has to be the case that those who want to come here legally can, and those who want to come by some other mechanism choose not to because they understand that they're not, they're not going to find a way. I remember this as a member of Congress. People would call my office and say, uh, hey, we, 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 we live in pick a country around the world. And they'd say they want to come here and get citizenship. And, you know, <laughs> anyway, I won't tell you the joke okay. we told, but the, but the simplest way to do it would be go to Mexico and come on. It, but what you want to encourage them to do is to file their paperwork, go through the lawful process, right. become citizens. We're the most welcoming nation in the world. We will always be. But it, it, it's not the case that we can be lawless or have our sovereignty broken through having this mass immigration in an unlawful mechanism. It's truly, there's a national security risk. Speaking of south of the border, Venezuela, uh, would the U.S. ever send troops in if that was necessary to keep further violence from occurring there? So you started trying to get me at the beginning, now you're trying at the end. Uh, the president has said pretty clearly, uh, we're going to do all that it takes to make okay. sure the Venezuelan people get democracy back. And that's the, that's the mission set. Now, President Trump has uh, sometimes tweeted things that are not favorable about some people working for him. Uh, he's never tweeted anything unfavorable about you. It's what early. Is... It's early. So what is, the, <laughs> what is the secret of your success in your relationship with President? You didn't know him before he was elected, did you? I did not. I met him the day I, uh, I interviewed to be CIA director. Just and who recommended you to be CIA director? I don't know for sure. I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. You mean the CIA doesn't have the ability to figure out who recommended <laughs> you? We should, we should figure that you, out. You, David, you've never believed that the CIA only does foreign espionage. Okay, I got it. Okay. You, uh, I've never been able to convince you. Okay, so but it's somebody, true. somebody recommended you. Yeah. You had an interview with I, them? I think the vice president was likely the person who, who okay. I had known and served with as a member of Congress. And did you say, I like the CIA job, but I'd like to be Secretary of State, or this came out as a surprise to you? It was a complete surprise to me. I was, uh, and I was honored to serve as the director of the Central Intelligence Agency. Okay, so some people say that you should run for the Senate from Kansas. In fact, Mitch McConnell, I think, has twisted your arm a few times to do that. Mm -hmm. um, can you say definitively that you will not run? The filing date is June of 2020, you probably know. So any... Uh... I didn't, but thank you for reminding okay. me. Yes. Okay, <laughs> so would you consider that, or are you putting that off the table for a while? Or? It's, it's off the table. As a, as a practical matter, I, I'm going to serve as Secretary of State okay. uh, every day that I get the chance to do so. Look, uh, we all serve at the president. The president, you talked about uh, that, uh, Director Coates, who I have enormous respect for, will be leaving the administration soon. Okay. He's served nobly. Uh, there, there's a time for everyone, and uh, I, I hope I get to do this for a while longer. Um, my experience is that sometimes when people get close to a president, they see the job up close, they say, well, I can do that job too. Has that occurred to you that maybe <laughs> um, you could do the job, and would you have any interest in running for president at some point in your life? I try to answer this consistently. I have never been able to predict what my next gig will be, and I suspect that's, that's the case with respect to this. I, I, I will say this. Um, uh, the service that I've had the chance to do, I'm almost 20 years now in federal service, 18 years of federal service in my time in the Army uh, and then in Congress and now in the executive branch. It has been a blessing. I hope I've left things a little bit better, and I, I do feel an obligation. America's given me an awful lot, and if I thought I could do a good turn, um, 
there, there's, there's nothing I wouldn't right. consider doing for America. Okay, but let's suppose president is reelected. Would you be willing to serve as Secretary of State for one, two, three, four years of a second term, or have you thought about that yet? I haven't thought about it yet. Uh, you know, <laughs> hard to know, hard to answer those questions. The real question is, would the president still want Mike Pompeo as his Secretary of State? Okay, so um, when you have decisions with the president, meetings with him, is he best with oral communications, written communications? What's the process by which decisions are made? Is it through the NSC or, yeah. or informal? Uh, so there's a very robust NSC process. Uh, when I brief him myself, I always prefer to have a document. It's the way I prefer to receive information. Um, so I almost always bring something, uh, a one-page summary at the very least that says, Here's the outline of what it is that I think are the priorities and how we should think about how we should frame this particular problem. And then the president uh, does like to engage in oral exchanges, and I've found them to be elucidating for myself. I often learn things as well. He's very focused on where the money is, how we use economic leverage to achieve our diplomatic ends. Now, except when Henry Kissinger was both Secretary of State and National Security Advisor at the same time, generally there's been some tension between Secretaries of State and National Security Advisors. How is your relationship with John Bolton? Yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's always tension among leaders of, of different organizations. We, we come at these things with, from a, a different viewpoint. Uh, Ambassador Bolton has his responsibility to try and make sure all the ideas are vetted and get to the president. Secretary of Treasury, Secretary of Energy, uh, the Intelligence Committee, each have their mission sets. There's, uh, we have robust, lively debates. I agree with each of them often and disagree with right. most of them sometimes. So in your career, you were first in your class at West Point. So how do you become first in your class at West Point? That's uh, pretty <laughs> tough. I mean, uh, what happened to uh, all the other people who were second, third, and fourth? Did they become <laughs> anything? And so one of them is the Secretary of Defense. Okay. <laughs> right? So he's a classmate of mine as well. I give him a hard time about our relative order of finish. Yes. Okay. Now, you uh, went to Harvard Law School. Why did you abandon the practice of law? I had a great opportunity. I was practicing law at Williams and Connolly here. Uh, I had great partners I worked for. I, unlike many, I actually enjoyed my time there. I was older that I okay. had gone to law school a little bit later, but I had a chance to start a business in Kansas with uh, three of my best friends in the whole world. And so we started a company that was a machine shop in Wichita, Kansas and uh, spent I the next 15 years. I thought you once told me you were negotiating with somebody on the opposite side on that deal, and that person wound up to be your wife. Is that true? It's true. She, she took my money twice. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So what is the best part about being Secretary of State? Uh, I, I love Susan, by the way. We're still married. And it's, everything's good. <laughs> yeah. You had to say that, otherwise you I did. I have home. friends in the room who are, are okay. texting her right now All as right. well. So, All right. So the best part of being Secretary of State is what? Uh, you get a chance to, uh, to help uh, ordinary Americans understand what we're doing and try and deliver them an environment where fewer and fewer of their kids have to be uh, in armed conflict. That's our mission set every day, to get American outcomes through diplomacy. And what's the worst part about being Secretary of State? I haven't figured that out yet. Right? I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying every minute of what I'm doing. I, I truly feel that I've been given this, uh, this remarkable privilege to serve and I'm trying to do my best to deliver on that every day. Okay, so thank you very much for your service and thank you very much for coming here today. Thank you all very much. That was U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo speaking to Carlyle Group co-founder David Rubenstein. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.